<laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disability Dish, the UML Perspective, Episode 3. My name is Janelle Diaz. I'm an Assistant Director in Display Services. I'm a co-host, and my other co-host is... Everybody, I'm Jody Rachens. I'm the director of Disability Services, and welcome to our third episode today. We're going to be talking all about social connections, in particularly among the disability community, in particular. Um, and just to kind of reiterate how uh, we've shared in our other episodes, it's this is a big initiative for our office. We we want to utilize collective skills and um, and sort of the community that we have to reach beyond accommodations and just sort of actively and openly discuss ways we can support our fellow dis disability community members in the university, outside networks, in the everyday lives. Um, so we really want to make a major effort to reduce stigma and shame around disability. And, you know, one of the big things we really plan to do is just flip that script and highlight the uncountable strengths that we can throw, show through various disabilities. So one of the initiatives is this monthly podcast um, where we provide representation and discussion around various interesting topics on disability. And just to do like a little disclaimer, this is just a discussion, conversation. These are our personal opinions and perspectives based on our experience. Um, and kind of going into it, I'm going to have each of you state your name, your role at the university, and your relationship with the word disability. And anyone can go first. <laughs> so uh, I'll start. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Mike Kennedy. I work in student activities and leadership here at UMass Lowell. I use he, him pronouns. Um, and my relationship uh, with the word disability is, so I grew up uh, with a 504 and uh, went to college and did not use offices such as Janelle and Jody and struggled. And really, it was difficult for me to find my way with dyslexia in college reading. And luckily, um, I, I kind of thought of my, took my pride into, you know, and went and said, you know, no, I need help. I, I can do this with the right measures. And uh was able to do that. And due to that, I made sure that I've always wanted to work with individuals that may have had, you know, any type of accommodation needs um, when I was in residence life and or now in student activities um, and served in uh, a student affairs professional as a knowledge community chair for um, students with disabilities as well. So this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I thank you for having me here and uh, I look forward to a good conversation. Thanks, Mike. Hi, I'm Ashley Hillier, and I'm a professor in the psychology department. Um, my relationship with the word disability really comes not so much through personal experience, but through my research work and the service work that I do at university. So I'm the co-director for our Center for Autism Research and Education here at UMass Lowell. I also am the director for the interdisciplinary minor in disability studies. And my research focuses on adolescents and young adults with autism, especially around success in college and transitioning from high school to college and employment, independence, financial literacy and sexuality and gender identity experiences with the healthcare system and issues around independence and adulthood. So thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be part of this conversation as well. So thank you. 
Hi, I'm Jihan Saad Samin. I am an MBA candidate here at UML and um, I have a concentration in finance, hopefully by December 2022. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my relationship with disability is also through a personal experience, but also that I believe that it is my superpower. So that's really my main relationship with it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Love this positive spin. Awesome. Um, so we're just going to kind of play popcorn style, like not everybody has to answer every question, um, you know, and sort of, we can just kind of let this flow. But, you know, I, I wanted to kind of start with sort of when you heard that we were focusing this episode on social connections and we reached out to you to be part of this. Can you think about your what your initial thoughts on why this topic is important and, you know, what you might bring into the conversation? I was really excited actually. Oh, sorry. No, go, nope. ahead. go ahead. You don't? No, please. Please. <laughs> okay. I was going to say that I was really excited actually that you're focusing on this topic. I think it's really important. I, as I mentioned, I work with a lot of people on the autism spectrum and they in particular can have difficulty making connections with other people, um, forming and maintaining friendships. They might experience isolation and loneliness. Of course, it's different for everybody. Everyone has their own unique experiences and their own unique situation. But with the young adults I work with, this comes up as a topic of concern for them a lot. So I'm really happy to see this be addressed. Um, and I think, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> see, I was, I was really excited to be invited, actually. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I am a non-traditional student actually, and I bring a perspective that's a little different. I am in classes with students that are half my age, not to mention any numbers, but, <laughs> but um, it is pretty interesting. I mean, I, um, my undergraduate was, uh, I completed about more than 20 years ago, but um, <laughs> I feel like the social connections are always important, no matter where in life you are. And I feel like this is a very important topic, especially for someone who has a disability, it is, um, it makes it sometimes multifold difficult to make those connections. So I feel like this is a, it's a very important topic because it's, it's a, something very important that we all need to work on. I, I would agree the excitement um, was definitely a driving factor and looking in student activities and leadership, a lot of what people think we do is connecting and getting people involved, but it's also that level of support. So making sure that we're advocating that, you know, is this the best place to host a program because you may not have accessibility resources to get in um, and understanding, you know, what the feedback is from our students that may have some sensory processing when going to large, large spaces where we need to amplify sound. Um, I think, you know, it helps us by knowing how students are feeling and knowing how students you know, want to be treated, um, whether they have, you know, accessibility concerns, um, you know, I have a non-visual disability and are willing to disclose that. I think for, you know, we want to make sure that every student is successful here, not just those that can get from, you know, a club meeting that is in one of our older buildings or things like that. So I think looking at social connections and being a support system as a student affairs professional. I think you're all touching on sort of a, a theme and a theme that I'm sort of gravitating towards a lot lately. I uh, 
I heard somebody who actually was on the autism spectrum at a talk that I went to who really said, you know, often in this field, we talk about inclusion and people being included. And there's sort of a, a concept of like, you know, you can be included in class or you can be included at that party, but do you belong there? And so the sense of belonging and do you do, do people make you feel like you belong there? And do you feel like you fit and you belong? Like including means sure you can show up and kind of stand on the sidelines, but the belonging is, is something that we sort of know I think in human nature is sort of being, being critical um, to our experience. I think if most of us look back on that college experience, which we're all connected to, um, you know, I can't tell you a lot of things I, from my classes per se, but I can really think back on, you know, experiences good and bad socially that sort of helped formulate who I am and how I, how I see the world and the people around me. And I feel like we might all be able to relate to that, that kind of experience. So it's such a formative time. Yeah, if I could actually just add on to that, Jodi, because I was going to mention mm -hmm. there's a lot of psychology research around belonging and the need to belong and social connectedness. And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, mm -hmm. where those mm -hmm. feelings of belonging are an important part of human motivation. And a lot of happiness research as well talks about keys to happiness being those social connections that we have with other people and not only for mental health, but also even for physical health so that people who are more isolated or um, identify as being lonely they have more health problems you know physical mm -hmm. health problems so yeah I think this is you know just really reiterates why this is such an important topic yeah so yeah so what are some various examples of social connections well I think you know, it, it's looking at social opportunity first um, and what that looks like. So, you know, we have, we're in a different realm now where we have the ability to do things like this in Zoom. So for some people, this might be a social connection. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there's, I, I've met two new people today. So that, that's a social connection. Um, whereas looking at it from a perspective of, you know, what do uh, in student activities and leadership, like what is those, that connection look like? Is that a giveaway? Is that making sure that we have food in an event and numbers? Um, I think it's also going a level deeper and looking at our special interests. So what kind of clubs do we have and how are they set up for success? So I think of a lot of times like our gaming clubs tend to attract a different group of people than some of our fraternities and sororities. Mm -hmm. And I think that understanding that and knowing that that's, that's great, that that's a different connection for a different student, you know, and we offer that here. So I think looking at whether it's online, virtual, hybrid, whatever, in person, let's try to not think that social connections can only happen in one area. Great, it's very important to think outside the box of how we can expand social connections mm -hmm. and make it accessible to various people, depending on their access. Mm -hmm. I think some people, you know, we have peer connections, we have sort of professional slash academic connections, we have romantic connections, we have family connections, you know, we have kind of all these different areas that, you know, provide meaning to us in, in, in different ways. And, you know, for some students that maybe have a really tight 
major and they have really tracked their classes together like they you know they they can really know get to know each other and see each other through through classes and for others you know where it's really transient or um i don't know maybe jihan can speak to this like in the graduate program it's it's really transient and you may not get to know people in the same way and so um looking at what are the other ways that you can you can get to know people and meet people that's true. And I have to say, from my experience, even in classes, um, and my classes are all online, I do make really good connections with um, students, whether it's um, in a group project or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, um, you know, hanging out in the chat room waiting for the professor. There's always places where you can make a social connection. I mean, as long as you're aware of the fact that you are in a place where you can make a connection, I because they're everywhere. There's no really excuse for saying I, I can't make a connection there's always a place even if it's online so I've, I found that to be very enjoyable actually <laughs> to meet a lot of my um, fellow students and in, in the classes that I've been taking. I love that that's a good point mm -hmm. I feel like I, if I'm sitting kind of waiting for like whatever the thing is supposed to begin of the video, like sitting there with, you know, sort of there, sort of not there, like on, you know, no camera and on mute so I can like finish my email, but we like miss out on that little chit chat, you know, that might happen before the things begin. And so remembering that that is a place that if you were walking into a physical space in the meeting had to begin, you, you might chit chat with people or, you know, that kind of thing. So allowing for that. <laughs> kind of just like going off of that, um, like what do you all think would lead someone to not make that first move to access that social connection, right? Like are there barriers in place um, in terms of like, why would I not do that? I think if you don't feel like you're in a safe space or you don't feel like you're on a level playing field with other people that are there or you don't feel like um like i don't know certain if you're if you feel like you're not being respected or you, you just don't have you're not yeah you're not in a safe situation you don't feel like you can be yourself mm. yeah and to, to add on there i think it's also our perspective on mm -hmm whether I can make that connection or especially having disability or having challenges, it makes it so much more difficult to get over our own perspective of how to make that connection. I think that I feel like this is the big, the biggest hurdle that really comes in my way sometimes thinking, oh, why should I even try, right? But um, it's always how yeah, to have a positive attitude and think, okay, I keep I just, having this courage to put oneself out there and just making that connection, I think it pays off eventually, you know, just have to keep mm -hmm. trying. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I even like saying too, like the aspect of feeling vulnerable and feeling discomfort and feeling vulnerable. Um, and then even there, back to what you said, Ashley, in terms of feeling safe um, and feeling respected and feeling like, okay, I can do this. This is a safe environment for me. To feel like I can contribute, I can make a social connection. You know, I think for me, I've, I've reflected a little bit and and how we all were forced into sort of an, an isolation throughout this past couple of years, and and for me, really looking at myself in a way that. Yeah, 
I went to um, the University of Maryland College Park and I sought out an enormous school. Um, and, you know, I came from a, a high school that was small and I felt like everybody was in each other's business. So I sought out this like, sort of large giant place. And um, I really loved it there, but you had to work really hard to get to know um, your people, um, you know, and you had to really kind of figure that out. And, you know, I would have considered myself an extrovert, um, but as an adult, I actually find myself more as an introvert and realizing that for me, it's more fewer, stronger connections for me that, that have that matter to me than sort of many more that are a little bit looser and less, you know, less in the trusting space and, you know, less easy to maintain. Um, and, and so I, I found that more and more as we sort of isolated over time. And actually, like, now, if I'm sort of in a new spot, like the even just chit chat and getting started in the conversation, that's nothing I ever had a problem with, like feels hard. I am like a little bit, I get like a, my heart like beats a little <laughs> bit faster. And, you know, like, what am I going to say? Like, I kind of forgot how to chit chat. It doesn't necessarily energize me, but like, there could be a reward at the end of it, but like the activation of it, I don't know if anybody else has that experience, but sort of that's, that's the thing I've noticed that's sort of new. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it definitely has to do with the pandemic and it, it's a, something we have to practice almost over again right I feel like we lost <laughs> at least as personally I feel like I lost that skill um, <laughs> along you know in the pandemic and I, it's kind of kind of learning it all over again kind of like you said so it's it is definitely um it's something that we have to, I have to be mindful of that I, can, I just have to keep practicing and it's it's going to get better again so <laughs> Saturday Night Live had a had a sketch like at one point in time where people were at like a holiday party or something for the first time after sort of coming out of quarantine and their questions for each other was like which vaccine did you get like they just like didn't know how to actually like say anything else to each other and so that like startup version of conversation is you know it's that's a tough one and for people in Ashley's vein, like that has been a difficult area all along. And now we're all getting a little bit more of a taste of what that might feel like, or other people who experience other, you know, anxiety, shyness, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> She's kind of going off of that a little bit too, in terms of your last point. Um, I see it goes back to like reward versus risk, right? Um, and how much it actually, how much you value that connection or want like are kind of wanting that connection and if again if you have access so I'm thinking of all the barriers that could come into play in terms of even having access to a social connection yeah I think that's a really important point because there's a lot of individual variation on how much time some people need or want to spend with other people and how much time they need or want to spend on their own so you know that's going to look different for different people sort of linking in with what you were saying about being introverted and extroverted Jody. that you know we're all somewhere on a continuum of need to interact with people or how, at what point we become overwhelmed interacting with other people and how that looks different for different people so i think that's a really great point janelle and I also think it's the the transition of that idea of the, you know, we've touched on anxiety as well, like mm -hmm. looking at what now there's a whole nother layer to it, you know, good. You've been able to kind of isolate and do things on your own for so long. And now you're coming, 
are you being forced back into group settings? Like, is it, is it something that you don't want to do, but mm-hmm. we now have to learn how to, you know, besides going to the supermarket, there's other things that we need to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that for me was very difficult coming out of the pandemic because life didn't stop, you know? So I tend to be a very extroverted person um, naturally, but I also have a new baby at home. So like that changed how things happened. Like I couldn't just go out when this all opened back up and mm-hmm. was very cautious and worried about coming to work with college age students. And maybe they were worried about hanging, you know, coming to a 35 year old's office. Like, you know, those, those things happen. It's just, um, it's one of those things that it's, I never had that feeling of fear in a space. Um, and, you know, until this happened. And if that's how people feel regularly when, you know, in social settings or going to take a test or just day to day, like it's, wow, like I give you so much credit for being able to learn to possibly manage that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So to kind of move this, and we've we've touched on it, but to just kind of move this into even more looking really at the disability community, and and one topic that sort of keeps coming up in the podcast is sort of we have we talk about overall disabilities but we also have visible disabilities versus invisible disabilities and visible may not be actually visible visible but just more obvious we can say um you know whether they're visible in the way somebody just behaves um or the way somebody looks versus like the invisible hidden stuff and i I think it would be interesting to hear kind of Again, nobody's expected to be experts, except for Ashley. She is actually technically an expert. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, um, no, just kind of what people's thoughts are and sort of what, what that might lead to as extra barriers and others making connections with them or them making connections with others. I mean, I think it really just depends. It, it depends on the individual. Um, it depends on people around them. I think perhaps, I, I think there would be differences. I, I guess if we're speaking generally, I think there would be differences for people who have a disability that we might consider invisible versus a visible disability. I think with visible disabilities, people are often not sure how to interact with someone with a visible disability, or, or they might be afraid they're going to say something that's going to offend that person. So they sort of avoid interacting with them. Um, yeah, they don't want to offend them. Mm-hmm. Um, with people with invisible disabilities, often they um, people have different expectations of how they might behave or how they might respond to things, how they might feel about things, how they might process information. And um, they might not, that individual may not respond in or, or process that information in the way that they their their conversation partner thought that they were going to so that can create more barriers and more complications or problems in that social interaction so I I think it just looks different I mean you know anybody might have difficulties interacting with people and connecting with people Um, you know that will look different for anyone but I think people with visible disabilities there's a sort of um fear that people have when they're not familiar with a disability they don't know how to approach that they don't know what questions to ask or whether to ask questions or when to ask questions so they just sort of avoid that person and then as I was saying with invisible disabilities I think that um, 
people just um, they have certain expectations and if that individual doesn't meet them then that they may lose that opportunity to make that connection mm-hmm. well and I think it goes back to Janelle you were talking about the space so you know for someone that has a visual disability it, that person it's disclosed it's out there it's seen whereas non-visual or not uh, invisible disability, that person can choose when or not, when it, or if they want to disclose and share that. So I think that does give that sense of, you know, their right to make, to make that decision based on the social setting. Maybe it's a group they, they went to for the second time and they feel great with, and they decide to have that conversation. So I think it's understanding like what, what those two and the difference between can be, um, you know, having, having the own, ability to expose your identities and, and own that versus having it exposed for you because of some reason. I'm like trying to think and I'm like as a person like right with a physical disability I feel like like you said like it's out there it's seen and I sometimes feel like I have to work like 10 times harder to create social connections or to kind of like prove myself or to also um, kind of eliminate those preconceived notions um, and maybe like that's in my mind right because um, I don't really know what someone else is thinking unless they're verbalizing that to me um, but that is constantly in like the back of my mind it's like okay you can do this like so that you can do this so that you can do that and then I'm like well does that also limit my connections and I'm so focused on kind of breaking down these preconceived notions that I'm so focused on that, that I'm not focused on creating the social connection. And I think looking at, you know, a place where, so one of the things I like to do is I like to go get a cup of coffee and it's thinking about like in, in the fall, we had a student in our office who was a person that was in a wheelchair and, you know, that wasn't something that we could do because that was a very different trip for them versus Mm me. Um, And it's not a a quick walk over the bridge thing for them. It it takes time and it's understanding like, well, how, what do we, how do we make sure that like, you know, we're not excluding that individual and we're giving them the choice to make that for themselves if they want to come or not. Or do we just look at, where we are and maybe somebody makes the coffee run and then we sit outside in front of our my offices in university crossing so we sit outside at university crossing around a table that you know someone can wheel their chair right under and and be a part of that conversation and looking that little step probably let that human feel a little bit more included in the group 100 i think you bring up a great point that an environment can really be a big barrier on social connections for some people mm. with physical needs and you don't even mm-hmm. think about that sometimes um but I even just like think of um accessing like family friends houses mm-hmm. that I physically can't get into and how my friends and family work so hard to make sure that either I can get into their house or that mm-hmm. it's outside or it's in a place kind of like you said Mike in a place that can be accessible mm-hmm. 
Janelle, can I put you on the spot and you can yeah. say you don't want to answer this, but has there been a different experience for you being behind a screen, um, you know, in a, in a lot of capacities um, in terms of what the thoughts are in your head and what you what you say to yourself kind of on a daily basis in terms of yeah, connecting no, with others? Yeah, 100%. I actually say that being behind the screen has provided me more access to, um, like, social connections in general. I was um, talking to my friend about this during COVID and we had a lot of monthly like game nights via like Zoom mm -hmm. um, and I was like this is the most I've seen so many people like prior I was you know again I have friends and family that make sure that I can access things but I'm like it just expanded my horizons and I was like I loved it because I got to see more people I got to connect with more people because I had greater access. Mm -hmm. I wasn't yeah. worried about how am I going to get there? Am I going to have somebody there to be able to help me do certain things? Mm -hmm. So, or to attend virtual sort of professional development things or whatever. And so that, like, yeah, you don't have to think through the logistics or sort of how yeah. people are, you know, you know, behaving or whatever. Is that sort of alleviated that for you? So, this is kind of a silver lining that everything is, at least for now, is this pretty hybrid opportunity, um, you know, in, in that way. So, that's, that's something important for us to kind of keep in mind and, and remember that for some people, physical or other types of disabilities, mm -hmm. having some kind of opportunity to be present in the way that feels okay to them, um, you know, can, can bring out a lot more. I think, um, you know, in some of the social groups and some of the um, neurodiverse communities, you know, they often did connect to kind of the way Mike said, like over gaming clubs and things like that. And those kind of always had a little bit of a barrier. Like sometimes they would take on like a, oh my gosh, like a character. What are you guys, what are they called? Like a, um, Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons or like online you like make your own somebody. Um, I'm just gonna date myself but I have no idea. <laughs> persona. Persona. An avatar or no persona yeah, or an avatar right yeah and so you can like <laughs> you all got me there thank you um, but you know being able to have that kind of barrier to like you know, still socialize and still connect and, and find little ways to get to know each other you know we can think about even just like Sometimes with certain people, if we have to share something kind of difficult or, or hard, like, um, you know, being able to do it in a way that that feels uh, uh, like there's a little bit of a safety net there can can make things a little a little easier sometimes. Yeah, we found that during the pandemic as well with some of our programming. So I have a, a mentoring program for high school students and we were able to connect with someone in Puerto Rico who was meeting on Zoom with one of our UMass Law students each week. So it was really nice to be able to mm. have a much broader net that we could cast to um, provide services to people in the community and you know go go further afield. So there was there mm -hmm. were some silver linings. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, um, you know, some of the students that I work with that have disclosed, you know, maybe having ADD, ADHD, virtual has allowed them to be able to fidget and use their hands without having that, you know, perception of class or tapping or things like that, mm -hmm. too. So I think um, it's been helpful to have that aspect and work from there. Mm hmm. Yeah, I have to yeah. agree with you, Mike. I think that being behind the screen, um, behind an actual picture like now that I'm doing, um, 
I think sometimes it is comforting to know that I just relax and focus more on, you know, what I can say, how I can think. And instead of just being, you know, in person, I, I agree with you. I think it definitely is a positive aspect for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is, it's definitely interesting to, to make sure that we continue to have various options for people to connect in ways that they're comfortable. But then there's also sort of the flip side of how do we, how do we push ourselves out of a comfort zone, whether it's, um, I think Ashley, you said it, especially like with some, with a, with a visible disability of some sort, like people may be afraid to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And so they maybe don't approach, um, you know, and, and so, and I feel like that's, that's a, conversation that we're often having in our office and like I'll, I'll be training faculty or something and they'll be asking like well what do I say and I say like it's okay to actually say it just because that person has a disability doesn't mean that they're not doing something that needs to be addressed you know um, you know and so people get get kind of nervous in terms of the either there's a heightened sensitivity or they you know are making a, a, a judgment or like Janelle said a preconceived notion um and so like I wonder how we all could sort of think about ways that we can kind of get over some of those preconceived <laughs> notions and help others that our listeners whoever our listeners are our, our budding audience um to uh to think about the preconceived notions I think that some of the research in the area talks about familiarity. So the more familiar people are with a particular disability, like they have a family member, a friend, I don't know, somebody they know, mm. then they have a much more open attitude and much more open-minded and accepting and willing to interact with someone with a disability. So a lot of it comes down to that which is um, why it's so important that, you know, children with disability are mainstreamed in the classroom mm -hmm. as much as possible. And so that people are more familiar, they um, understand different disabilities better and don't have that same sort of fear or mm -hmm. anxiety. No, I, agree. Yeah, really I think exposure, I think exposure is huge to provide further understanding, right? Because I think personally, like I wouldn't understand someone unless I'm in their shoes or unless I have someone close to me that is going through a particular experience. Um, so I definitely agree that I think exposure um, is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. and, and there is, oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was going to say, you know, for Jody and Janelle, like starting conversations like this, is, you know, having and looking at like let's talk about the stigma and let's talk about what this means and I think that opens up our community as a whole to look at how are we with our comfort levels and in, in talking with individuals how are we maybe rewriting and re-understanding is it okay to ask questions and try to you know from a, a point of caring and wanting to learn more about the individual I think that's where this for the two of you starting this and having this it, it really brings this to light and allows us to learn learn more as educators and students thanks i didn't even pay you money to give compliments like this. <laughs> i'll take it though but <laughs> i don't have much to give <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely an, an interesting thing too. I think this came up in a, another podcast episode too. Like we couldn't really do our jobs every day if we were only worried about making mistakes mm -hmm. with, with people and we spent our time not connecting and not developing relationships with people if we were too afraid of, of, of saying the wrong thing. So like, number one, we have to work to educate ourselves and be open to the, to how we should be saying. So often we're talking sort of in a diversity component of like, you know, um, you know, makes it his pronouns and actually the rest of us forgot to say our pronouns, but we do have them written here. A lot of us do. So, um, but you know, that that's been a huge movement to kind of work towards that. Um, and there's a lot in the disability society of sort of, does somebody want to be the person with the disability, so person first, or do they really want to identify, you know, that a lot of people in the deaf community want to identify as deaf with a capital D, and that's really important to them, um, you know, and so we're like, well, I don't know how to class, you know, what to, what to label you, you know, and, and so, you know, getting used to sort of we, you know, we might ask now, like, what are your pronouns, um, you know, as sort of an open sort of universal thing, but also sort of like, how, you know, how do you describe yourself or something like that in a way um, that, and, and if we make mistakes, I firmly believe that, you know, in making mistakes, it's, it's actually deepens the connection and relationship the making the repair uh, goes goes a really long way and goes further um, if you can own up to it, it and use it as a moving forward, growing and learning opportunity. So for me, I try not to be too afraid of making mistakes while being conscientious at the same time, but um, but but really owning and trying to just like check in if I feel like I made um, something that you know was a was a blunder or something and and make that repair um because i know i respect people so much when they you know make the repair and own and own that we're all learning and all human i agree and i keep kind of going back to this whole like environment and access and resources just because i think it's so huge because not everyone has the same access and resources to social connections. Mm -hmm. And like something that might not be a barrier um, to me, right, Jody, might be a barrier to you. And I may have no idea of it. Um, and that could really impact you having the ability to start a social connection. And I mm -hmm. think we can encourage each other in our roles um, in our everyday kind of experiences to kind of think a little bit outside the box when we're, you know, connecting with people and if we're offering programs or classes or whatever it might be to think about ways to make sure that there's greater access. Right. And I, I'd like to do another shameless plug for Janelle. I did attend her <laughs> connections uh, meetings that she had, and they were amazing. I enjoyed it so much. I think that's where I'm at, Janelle. And um, I have to say, I attended religiously as much as I could. And it was really a big, I mean, effort on her part. It was so enjoyable to have, um, you know, other individuals who have the same struggles and hear how everybody is, you know, just the in and out have to just prove themselves a hundred times more and work harder than everybody else. And it was really, so Jill, heads off to you. That was amazing. I, I wish I can attend some more. So <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you, thank you. I didn't pay you to say that either, yay.
<laughs> next year she's going to recruit you as like the VP or something. So uh, um, I love it. It was so good. I can't tell you. I mean, it was really, really good. So. And that's yeah. why I actually got this. I got this way. Actually, I got the idea from Superpower for my disability because it was one time we were talking. I know one of the students were uh, very like affected by the fact that they had so many different challenges and they were trying to group themselves all the time. And I was like, you know what? Your disability is your superpower because having a disability is really what makes us have mm-hmm. to deal with all these things hundredfold more than everybody else, right? We have to work harder to prove ourselves. We have to, uh, you know, work work with people that have those biases and have those preconceptions of disabilities. And it's just, mm-hmm. it is a superpower. That's really, that's where I got it from, Janelle. It was from this connection meeting. So hats off to you for sure. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I think if we could get the whole world to think that different disabilities actually are superpowers and for people with disabilities to believe that they have a superpower, yeah. then, you know, we'd be in a much more positive space. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and little, little kids can do that, right? Like they can, they can think of themselves as, you know, people with, you know, superpowers and you can, mm-hmm. you can kind of convince them of that, but we, we lose some of that sort of starry-eyed magical approach as we get a little bit older and have more social data that comes along that makes life a little harder. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. We've touched on and a lot then, of our questions in terms of that. I would yeah. kind of going off of that too, Jody, kind of what you just said. I would even think just like having disability be highlighted, right, in a positive manner versus in a negative manner um, in different, you know, media outlets. I think is a huge factor in, in again, people being able to have access to social connections and not having to kind of um, break down preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that me is doing a better job at it because um, we're starting to see a lot of different things, right, in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, Jody has a newsletter that she puts out every month and she highlights um, disability in the media. Um, for all of you to know, and um, we're always kind of talking about different shows and um, other leaders that are having a positive impact. So we're starting to definitely see more of it, um, but it can always be larger and greater. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. One of the things that people have been talking about lately, everybody, like a lot of people have been talking about the movie Coda, who, you know, won all these wonderful awards about the deaf community. And when I watched it, the part that I loved about it, and there's some controversy, but the part that I loved about it was that the people sometimes don't want to make relationships with, with deaf people because there's a barrier, a communication, you have to work harder and figure out how to communicate best. But the characters were so funny. Like they had senses of humor, they were sarcastic. The parents were these like sexual beings that the kids were embarrassed of. And like, you know, and it was great because it was like, well, yeah, it doesn't mean you don't have a sense of humor. You just have a different way of communicating. And they would like, you know, sign each sign each other sort of sarcastic uh, swear words and stuff like that. And they were so funny. And that doesn't often get highlighted if there's just a deaf character in the media. So um, knowing that like, it could be really worth the connection if you really like being around funny people, you know? So, um, <laughs> so I thought that was meaningful. <laughs> I do love, I do love talking about the representation in the media. That's one of my favorite topics. That's what we started our podcast on. Um, 
Should we wrap it? Should we kind of yeah. wrap up and finalize our question? Okay. Yeah. All right. So last question. And um, after this conversation, what is the takeaway that will stick with you? And has anything changed about how you feel as a person with a disability or as an ally about disability stigma after this podcast? Multi-part question. I'm going to put it in the chat. Too. Right. <laughs> So first thing is, what is the takeaway from today? And have, have your feelings changed as a person with a disability or as an ally about disability stigma after this conversation? I think I, I'll say, say, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's fine. I'll wait. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I think I, there's a few things that really resonated with me. I think, Janelle, what you were talking about with the environment and barriers and how we don't always know what people's barriers are when they are in a specific environment and, you know, there's um, an opportunity to make social connections. We, we don't necessarily know their barriers and, you know, that's going to be different. So I thought that was a, a great point that I hadn't really thought about. Mm. Um, and then... I had thought about positive aspects of, you know, silver linings around the pandemic, but we brought up some really interesting ones here as well that I hadn't thought mm. of as much. So that will stick with me. And, um, you know, always thinking about positive aspects and superpowers and strengths. I'd mm -hmm. love to have mm -hmm. that conversation. And I tried to have that conversation with my students as much as possible in my classes. <laughs> um, and I actually teach a course, Psychology of Developmental Disabilities, and in slides on like ADHD, for example. And when we cover autistic individuals, I, I you know, often talk about different strengths and mm -hmm. superpowers and things like that. So I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. that's something else that really resonates with me and that I'll be taking away with me. Thanks. So my takeaway is definitely to remember that there is help always out there and uh, people that are just like us, like struggling and, and trying every day to do their best and not to be afraid to reach out and, and look for help and look for a group to share those ideas and, and feelings with. So that was really great to hear that. Yeah, and I think uh, for me, my takeaways is, you know, definitely shedding light and talking about stigma and looking at whether it's, you know, autism spectrum related disorders or anxiety and, and how different, you know, aspects can be different for like the hybrid aspect could work for some, but not for others in the in-person. And, um, you know, again, looking at our, our campus locations and how are we as an office making sure we're giving the opportunity um, and I don't want to just be, you know, talk about inclusion, but like the opportunity if that person wants to be a part of a social mm -hmm. connection. So I think we need to continue to do that as an office. Um, and, you know, I think as, you know, an ally or, or an individual with a disability, just making sure that, you know, the, the light we're shedding on it is, you know, is aspects of positivity and knowing there's going to be challenges, but knowing that, you know, through the resilience that comes a lot of times with individuals with disabilities comes success. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to shed some, some light on that too. Mm -hmm. Janelle, do you have a takeaway? Sometimes I skip, I skip. They, um, my takeaway definitely was more so even for myself thinking about disability in a positive aspect versus a negative one. Um, and then in terms of 
any feelings, changing about stigma, um, just being able to have this awesome conversation with all of you who are all leaders um, or allies um, in general was very uplifting. So thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah, this was a wonderful conversation and we're such a scattered group of people that are coming from so many different areas and I love, this is something that I'm loving about these conversations is that we're bringing strangers together, but there's like a lot of meaning that comes out of it. So I appreciate it. And um, yeah, the superhero stuff is going to stick with me and it, you know, it circles back every once in a while. I remember that it's something that I really want to put into my vernacular of sort of like the superpower, the superhero stuff, because I, I often do say like, it's so important to me to help people understand that, you know, accommodations or having a disability, I, it should be you know, a strength and seeking help and support and utilizing resources is actually using strengths. And something Mike said in the very beginning is like, you know, he struggled because he didn't think that utilizing resources and supports were actually something that made him stronger. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think that that goes along with that. But if we can begin to internalize looking at, you know, differences uh, that we bring or differences in others as sort of really cool things that can make our, our world full of more vibrancy and color, then, you know, then that would be, that would make us all better. So. Yeah. So a huge thank you and a round of applause. <laughs> That's a funny round of applause. It's like, <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. Well, that's kind of it for today.